And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. And hello, everyone, and welcome. We're live from Vault L, deep inside the bunker. Uh, my name is Christopher Hoffman, and I'm a contributor here at Sci-Fi For Me. And now we're broadcasting to Odyssey, Facebook, and YouTube. Um, the chat is live if you want to uh, be a part of that, or live-ish. Uh, if you're not live with us, you can still leave us a comment, um, or you can send an email at uh, livefromthebunker at sci-fi-for-me.com. And um, if you prefer the broadcast, uh, excuse me, if you prefer podcast format, <laughs> the show is available on various uh podcast platforms, um, iHeart, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and a host of others. Um, we are broadcasting um, all over the world with listeners from various countries. And uh, those of you who listen to the show, uh, we're glad you're here. And uh, for the next uh, few minutes, I'm going to be talking about uh, holiday horrors, uh, specifically uh, the tradition uh, of ghost stories for Christmas. Um, it was a, uh, a oral tradition that began uh, centuries ago, ago um, tales told around the campfire of uh, spooky ghosts and, and uh, things to uh, not necessarily frighten children, but just uh, keep them up a little bit at night uh, while the veil was thinning during the winter time, and just to make sure that they uh, were not too curious. And in fact, there was a, uh, a story written by M.R. James that is actually called A Warning to the Curious, which is really uh, a really good uh, tale there. Um, now, I did mention that it uh, was an oral tradition that uh, began centuries ago, like around the uh, the campfire, and then it sort of migrated to, over to you know the fireplace and that sort of thing. Um, it in eighteen thirty five when Dickens uh, published a uh, Christmas Carol, um, one of the most famous ghost stories for Christmas. Um, there was a surge in popularity of, of this type of tale um, uh, in the Victorian era. So you had a lot of various authors uh, publishing these tales in um, both uh, Strand Magazine and uh, some Penny Dreadfuls and various uh, other periodicals of that period. Um, they were all very interesting. Um, some of them were more frightening than others, um, but it was also an opportunity for um, various authors um, to have their works published, um, not only um, famous authors uh, like, for instance, uh, Dickens, as I mentioned before, as well as M.R. Um, James, um, but there were uh, actually some uh, female authors uh, that uh, brought some terror to the Christmas punch bowl, as it were. Um, Edith Nesmit being one, um, as well as uh, Daphne um, Dumar, um, all published really, really interesting ghost stories um, that were to be read at Christmas time, but weren't necessarily Christmas themed. It was just sort of something that would uh, kind of um, put a, a, a chill down your spine while you were having a, a bit of a spiked eggnog, as it were. Um, <clears throat> that tradition um, of the oral uh, storytelling um, was actually, as I mentioned, um, with Charles Dickens, um, that was put a little bit more in the forefront by the other author that I mentioned, M.R. James. Um, he was actually a uh, professor in uh, Oxford, 
And what he would do is each year he would write an original ghost story and he would invite his students over to his office slash apartment and he would go ahead and read to them sort of a uh, recitation performance of his latest ghost story. And they became so popular that um, they were collected in, in various volumes of his uh, short fiction. Um, now, these stories um, are really, really interesting. I mean, they, they range in subject matter, um, but they are always, you know, centered around some sort of a ghost and usually uh, an academic who is um, a little bit too curious uh, about something, about like either a, uh, a lost artifact or um, some painting that he uh, acquired as in the tale of the mezzotent, uh, which is one of his more uh, terrifying uh, stories. It, it's about a, um, a young man who actually um, acquires a uh, etching of this manor house uh, through an auction. And uh, every time he looks at the etching, um, one of the windows in, in the uh, manor house uh, slowly opens. And, and then there's a dark figure that is uh, seen like going across the lawn. Um, and uh, it turns out that as the, uh, as the young man does some research into um, the etching and who created it, uh, he learns a little history about the uh, manor house and that it was actually a, based on a real manor house and um, the kidnapping of a young child from that manor house. And um, apparently the mezzotint uh, replays that event uh, throughout the series of uh, various days um, during that time, um, during the anniversary of, of that event. Um, so it's, it's really, really kind of creepy um, story and it was um, adapted um, by the BBC um, and and actually they're going to be remaking that um, in remaking it it's supposed to be remaking it this year um, directed by Mark Gattis um, who you may be familiar with uh, from uh, either uh, writing for uh, the uh, writing for Doctor Who, or um, his uh, stint at creating uh, Sherlock with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, he was also an actor in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And um, getting back to uh, Sherlock, he, he played uh, Mycroft Holmes uh, in in that show as well, just to give you a little bit of a, a visual on him. Um, Mark Gaddis is a huge fan of um, horror, but, but also uh, ghost stories for Christmas, um, as well as a, a huge fan of, of James's work. Um, in fact, when he was younger, um, during the 70s, the uh, BBC had a series of programs that were uh, entitled Ghost Story for Christmas. And it was a series of 15 different episodes um, from the 70s all the way through the early 80s. And then they took a break. Um, but each episode uh, was mainly um, based on a uh, James short story. And they were shot on 35 millimeter film, usually shot on location. Um, and so they have sort of a timeless quality to them. Um, although, you know, they are uh, close to um, close to about 48 to 50 years old now. Um, you can still get a lot of really good thrills out of them. Um, now, I have a few that are some of the best episodes of the series. Um, 
the first one that I'm going to be talking about uh, will be uh, one that is entitled Lost Hearts. And that is also um, a story by James, and it centers around a young boy um, who was recently orphaned, and he uh, is sent to live with his uncle, quote unquote, uh, who is... uh, who lives on this like palatial uh, manor estate. And um, the boy is, is treated rather badly by the uncle, but the, the housekeeper kind of takes the boy under her wing. And um, while the boy is exploring the estate, uh, he encounters two ghostly children, as, as you just saw um, in the photograph. And it turns out that these children um, have uh, been killed by the uncle. And uh, it looks like maybe the uncle uh, might be trying to kill the young boy uh, that, is, uh, that is now living there. Um, There's a little bit of a twist of the story. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it is really, really good. In fact, um, Mark Gaddis uh, refers to uh, Lost Hearts as a masterpiece. It's really well done, uh, very creepy, scary, a little bit gory, which is kind of strange because considering um, it was filmed sort of like a a children's program uh, back in the the 70s, although it was aired a little bit later at night. Um, But that being said, it's a really, really good uh, way to start off your uh, ghost stories for Christmas viewing. Ghost stories for Christmas viewing. Uh, as I mentioned. And now the the second one that I'll be talking about, we're just going to continue on a little bit with James. Um, the second one I'm going to be talking about is uh, the ash tree. And that one is really interesting. Um, it uh, involves, um, yet again, uh, a young man, this time uh, a college uh, age uh, young man who has inherited an estate and um, he goes to live on the estate, and uh, there is an ash tree that is uh, blocking his view from, from the master bedroom. And he uh, is in the works of cutting down the tree when he uh, receives nightmare visions of, um, of creatures that look uh, like a combination of spiders and children, and um, he's haunted by them, and he's also haunted by visions of uh, a witch who uh, was hung from that particular tree. So it's a uh, it's a case of um, it, it's a case of uh, not necessarily innocence, but. Uh, people that are thrown into uh, situations that they are very much unprepared for as far as, uh, you know, spiritually and and supernaturally unprepared for. Um, This one is got some great practical effects. Um, The, the creatures um, are, really, really unsettling. Um, I think that is a because it's a combination of um, the limitations of the practical effects from the 70s, um, but also um, the fact that um, they were shot in shadow. Um, and it's just got this really, really eerie quality that is perfect uh, to watch around, you know, a little bit after midnight. Uh, <laughs> Now, the other M.R. James story that I have um, is The Stalls of Barchester. And that one is uh, 
that one actually stars uh, Clive Swift, um, who you may recognize uh, if you're a fan of British comedy. Uh, he played the husband, Richard, in um, the uh, comedy Keeping Up Appearances with uh, Patricia Rodelich. Uh, and that was on in the mid 90s and it was a staple of a, a PBS British comedy. Um, now Clive uh, uh, plays a, an academic and, and really he has a, a bit of a, um, a smaller role in this film, but he's helping um, another uh, professor who is uh, researching uh, some church history. And uh, he comes across the diary of uh, this priest who uh, in the diary proceeds to tell the history of uh, this stall that was put in Barchester Cathedral. And uh, it's a tale of uh, murder centering around an archbishop and uh, a little bit of ambition and, um, and a curse, an evil curse that uh, actually works itself into the wood of uh, this stall in the cathedral. It's really, really good. The film itself um, is very well told. In fact, actually in the film, um, speaking of British comedy, the, the old archbishop is played by the actor who uh, was young Mr. Grace in Are You Being Served? So that's a nice little Easter egg for, for the British comedy fans there. But um, as we know, with uh, the joke from Are You Being Served, young Mr. Grace was not young at all. He was very, very old. And that actually kind of plays a part in this uh, tale of terror, the stalls of Barchester, because uh, the archbishop uh, just stays around. He, he, it, it's like he's going to live forever. And, and the, uh, the priest who wants to secede him um, is, is becoming very, very impatient with uh, the archbishop's long life. Um, that story is a really, really good one. Now, all of the episodes uh, that I've mentioned ran about 28 to 35 minutes each, and they were shown around 10.30 to 11.30, um, right before midnight on uh, either BBC One or BBC Two during the 70s. Um, and this was a time where, um, just like in American television, um, television wasn't broadcast uh, 24 hours is, like it is today. And in fact, there were some regulations where the uh, television stations would have to go off the air for a while. Um, that's where you might have seen the uh, a little uh, Indian head uh, in America, Indian head sort of like standby picture, that sort of thing. Well, these stories were uh, programmed uh, in that time slot to be one of the last things that you would see uh, if you're watching BBC One and BBC Two uh, during the holiday season. So it was definitely something that uh, would uh, would kind of not necessarily keep you up at night, but, but might give you some very strange dreams if you check them out. Um, now we're going to fast forward a little bit. Uh, because, as I mentioned, there were 15 episodes of the original series, um, and they were collected, actually, um, by uh, the British Film Institute um, in a box set called Ghost Stories for Christmas. And the, uh, they are available currently through um, Amazon UK, um, and I believe you can see most of them. Uh, through YouTube uh, as well, individual episodes. But in the mid-2000s, there was a bit of a resurgence in popularity of uh, these ghost stories for Christmas. And in fact, in 2008, um, we're going to uh, mention Mark Gaddis again. He's, he's quite a, uh, a well-known sort of uh, horror contributor, especially uh, for the UK. Um, with the success of his uh, role in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen um, and uh, some of the contributions he did to uh, 
the uh, new, uh, the current version of Doctor Who, not not Jodie Whittaker, but like you know the uh, the first Doctor with Christopher Eccleston and, and that sort of thing of this new period of Doctor Who, um, he was actually um, allowed to produce um, his own version of a ghost story for Christmas. And that was in 2008, and that was entitled A Crooked House. And it was actually um, a mini-series that was shot over, I believe, four to five nights. And it centered around uh, a young man who um, inherits this antique door knocker, as you could probably, as you saw on the cover. And this door knocker... Uh, onto this house and the house itself um, is shown through various different periods of time. You have like a uh, one that's during the industrial age and then another story from the twenties and then a more uh, current story. Um, and all of these spooky ghostly things that were happening in that particular house. In fact, one of the first uh, stories is about um, a person who is remodeling. Uh, he's actually a merchant, um, a recently, um, I, you would say, nouveau riche merchant who has recently come into his money, and he's remodeling the house, and um, he uh, wants to save a little bit of money, so he uh, buys some secondhand wainscoting, um, wooden trim for his drawing room and um, unfortunately um, in order to save money he really didn't ask um, or delve into where the wainscoting came from and um, the wainscoting came from a very very uh, very dark place uh, it's it's something that you normally wouldn't uh, wouldn't upcycle <laughs> again um, and it has to do with uh, with executions and uh, and uh, an evil judge. It's it's a really really creepy story. Um, the one from the 1920s involves um, a ghostly bride, and then there is a uh, the most current story in the series goes back to the young man who has uh, inherited the uh, the antique door knocker of the crooked house and uh, with it comes um, with it comes a very very scary uh, ghost and, and a curse um, Mark Gaddis also shows up um, as a curator of a local museum uh, that the young man goes to uh, with the door knocker in hopes of finding a little more history um, about the house itself. Um, this story is really, really interesting. Um, you can divide it up into various parts if you like, but it is, um, it is compiled into one long film as well. Um, each story itself harkens back to the about the same amount of time as the original uh, Ghost Stories for Christmas, which is, was about um, about 30 to 35 minutes each. Now, that one, uh, The Crooked House from 2008, was um, one of the more recent, you know, variations on the Ghost Stories for Christmas Um but if we go back a little bit further, I know I'm bouncing around here a little bit, but uh, there was an uh, adaptation of another M.R. James story um, called Whistle and I'll Come to You. And this one starred John Hurt, and this was uh, filmed in 2000. Uh, the original uh, version or the original film version of this was done in 1968 and it was a black and white film um, that was actually um, placed on um, not necessarily a ghost story for Christmas specifically uh, entitled program it was one on um, I believe it was Odyssey 
um, and it was in 1968, so it sort of predates the whole ghost stories for Christmas trend. The reason I bring that up is because it is actually considered the first ghost story for Christmas. Now, in the original one, we see a uh, another uh, college professor who is taking a vacation um, to a seaside resort, and um, he's visiting like a local cemetery and in the cemetery he finds an old penny whistle and there's some etching on the penny whistle and um, he brings the penny whistle back home or back to his hotel room and um, with the penny whistle uh, comes a, a very vengeful spirit and the film itself, the original one uh, from 1968, is um, very, very sort of surreal. Um, the effects are limited, but they're very, very effective. You really don't necessarily see the monster or the, the vengeful spirit. You do see some of the... Um, you see the sheets rising from the bed, that sort of thing. But it's very much... Um, told from the point of view of, of the professor. Now, I mentioned that to, to follow up with the, the uh, remake in 2000, which doesn't, um, doesn't center around a, a professor, um, but also, uh, but it does, um, excuse me, doesn't center around a professor, but it does uh, involve a haunting, uh, both a supernatural one as well as a um, emotional haunting. Um, John Hertz uh, plays a, a husband whose wife has uh, recently had to be uh, put into um, an assisted care home uh, because she is uh, suffering through uh, Alzheimer's. And um, while that is going on, he he does come across um, he comes a, across another object, and um, it's it triggers some supernatural elements. Um, but you're not really sure if the supernatural elements are figments of John Hurt's imagination, or if it is actually you know a real spiritual visitation um, that's going on. And John Hurt is also going through some emotional, uh, emotional trying, emotionally trying times because uh, as I mentioned before, his, his wife is um, suffering from Alzheimer's and she is um, slowly forgetting who John Hurt is as her husband, and um, she is, um, for lack of a better term, um, becoming a bit of a ghost, um, a living uh, ghost to him. Um, that one, although technically based on um, an M.R. James story, is, is a very, very loose adaptation uh, of the original uh, written work. Um, the original written, written work um, is more faithfully adapted in um, the 1968 uh, black and white version. Um, but I would recommend checking out both versions to see how the subject matter was approached. Um, with M.R. James, as I mentioned before, there's usually some sort of academic um, that uh, pokes his nose into uh, places where they shouldn't be poked and gets a little bit too curious. Um, there is also a, a story, um, and I believe it is a warning to the curious, um, about a, uh, another academic who um, plunders an old uh, Celtic burial ground and um, brings back with him uh, or tries to bring back with him some of the treasure. And uh, it's not, not a good idea, <laughs> not a good idea, no matter uh, what 
what sort of uh, burial grounds you're you're going at or looking at to to try and plunder them. Um, I think that's actually become a staple of uh, the horror stories of uh, as of late. Um, now I do have one more um, episode of the original series, uh, Ghost Stories for Christmas, to mention that is a uh, considered a classic, and this one is actually uh, written by Charles Dickens, uh, who I mentioned before, of course, uh, being famous for uh, the Christmas Carol, uh, the most famous ghost story for Christmas. This one is actually called The Signalman, and it uh, stars Denholm Elliott, um, who you may recognize um, from uh, Indiana Jones, um, he was one of the uh, side characters. Uh, he's a prolific uh, British character actor. Now, um, Denholm Elliott uh, actually uh, plays a, a conductor, or actually a, a signalman, um, who is uh, in charge of uh, watching uh, a train crossroads. And uh, there's a switch that uh, Denholm Elliott has to flip to make sure that two trains don't run into each other, especially at this tunnel um, where uh, he is located. Now, there is a traveler that uh, is trying to, uh, is crossing uh, the tracks and he is visited uh, by a, uh, another person who is by the tunnel saying, hey, look, look out below, look below. And, but that person is obscured uh, by some fog. And uh, so the traveler goes and finds Denholm Elliot and Denholm Elliot proceeds to tell him the story uh, of the signalman and his significance. And it's a really, really creepy tale. Um, as I mentioned before, um, all of these, uh, the original series were shot on location. Um, so you've got like some very deep green. Um, there's a like very dimly, dimly lit train tunnel. Um, and then when the, uh, the apparition appears, um, it's a very, very shocking moment. Um, the story itself, the written story by Charles Dickens is, Dickens is very, very effective, but the film adaptation is um, really, really excellent and, and very, very creepy. It still holds up, um, even though, as I mentioned before, it was made in the 70s, um, as were the other episodes, but because... Um, there isn't really any sort of modern technology shown. Um, it's got more of a, a timeless quality to it. Um, these stories, um, as I mentioned before, were written around um, around the times. Uh, various times during the year to be read at wintertime, a little bit before Christmas. Um, but they are not, um, they're not limited to just winter reading. Um, you can read them any time uh, and get some enjoyment out of them. Um, if you are not, um, very keen to, you know, read the stories um, and prefer audio versions, um, there is a uh, YouTube channel called Bite Size Audio. And um, th the gentleman there does uh, various interpretations of these ghost stories. Um, in fact, he has a whole collection of the M.R. James ghost stories, as well as um, stories from Edith Nesbitt, as I mentioned before, and Daphne Dumar. Um, and it's very interesting if you wish to listen to them. He, um, it's a very mellifluous narration 
it'll give you a really good taste of uh, what these stories were all about um, and how they really lent themselves to be to be told aloud. Um, now, if you find anything that piques your interest um, and wish to seek out more of these in print form, um, I do recommend a series of books that were put out by Valancourt. Um, Valancourt uh, actually has right now five different volumes of uh, the ghost stories for Christmas. And um, they are uh, collected from various uh, publications, um, various uh, Penny Dreadfuls, The Strand Magazine, um, that sort of thing. Um, the first volume does have M.R. James and Charles Dickens, but as each volume progresses, you get into more of the uh, obscure authors, um, as well as I believe in the fourth volume, uh, there are some uh, authors from America, um, including some African, African American authors um, and uh, more uh, female authors that were uh, taking the tradition that was popularized in Victorian England and, and bringing that um, to America and, and publishing in uh, the local newspapers there and magazines. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Um, great, great way to celebrate the holidays with not necessarily celebrating the holidays, but getting into sort of the, the spooky spirit, uh, especially if you uh, are getting a little bit, a little bit tired of, of a nightmare before Christmas. Always a good tradition, but if you want something kind of in that vein, but uh, not necessarily uh, in the mood for a visit from uh, Oogie Boogie, I, I definitely uh, recommend the Ghost Stories for Christmas. And uh, we will be right back after this short break. Thank you. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi everyone, Jason Hunt here, inviting you to join us every Saturday for news, science fiction, fantasy, and horror headlines from the week, plus interviews, updates on events going on around the world, and the weather forecast for the same. It's all wrapped up in one neat package for your weekend. We call it Good Morning Multiverse, every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Hello, hello, and, and, and welcome back. Uh, as I mentioned before, uh, this is uh, Vault L, <laughs> Deep Inside the Bunker, and I'm Christopher Hoffman. I'm uh, contributing today, and we're speaking about holiday horrors. Um, we just got finished uh, talking about the uh, BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas series from the 70s um, that is currently being revisited um and now we're going to speak about a little bit something um something a little bit different um we're just going to touch on this um very very lightly but uh as as you may know uh if you have seen me uh doing various interviews and, and contributing um to uh, Good Morning Multiverse. Um, I'm a fan of uh, of horror movies and um, of all sorts, as well as um, you know horror literature. That's uh, and weird tales. Uh, the reason I bring that up is because lately I have been sort of struggling with. Uh, you know, seasonal affective disorder. Um, and I, I do struggle my, myself with, with uh, depression um, and not to get, you know, too, too deep into that. Um, but the reason I bring that up is um, I've always considered um, various kind of scary movies to 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 be uh therapeutic um 
it, it, at least um, in a, not necessarily just a cathartic way, um, but just a um, more of a, how can I put this? Um, more of a, a, a bit of an es escape from the horrors and, uh, of everyday life. Um, not to say that, you know, I run to these type of things all the time, but um, I myself uh, would rather um, watch a, uh, a creature feature or um, a movie with a monster that I know will be defeated than um, a something like um, American Sniper or, or something like that. And this is just my, my opinion, um, but it's just those type of films hit a little bit too close to home to me. I'm, I'm speaking of the, the ones that are a little bit uh, more based in, in reality. Um, now, I, I do mention this um, because I have found that uh, through, through my various study of, of different uh, horror genres and films, that there is sort of like a running theme through most of these movies, um, especially with the older ones. Uh, if we're speaking of like the Hammer films or some of the Universal movies that came before Hammer, um, that most of these films um, are actually kind of modern day morality tales um, uh, akin to uh, what the original Grimm's fairy tales were trying to do, or in a sense, what uh, Charles Perrault uh, was uh, doing with his uh, like French adaptations of, of, of fairy tales, um, where you actually had the uh the good triumphing over evil that sort of that sort of thing um now as as movies progressed things got a little more you know grayer um especially like um actually with with uh, the bride of frankenstein by by james whale um you have uh the 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 monster uh, portrayed again, by uh, Boris Karloff, uh, as he did in the original, he, his character is actually sympathetic. Um, whereas in the first one, he was just, uh, he, he, was, he was more of there as a, as a menace. Um, and with his uh, ghoulish makeup, he was, he was there to really, really, like shock and, and frighten the viewers of, of that time period. Um, now I, I mentioned that the, the characters got a little more sympathetic um, and I'm bringing that point up in regards to um, people that, that have always felt like uh, kind of ostracized um, either through um, having to deal with you know, depression or anxiety, or just like feeling that they, they didn't fit in. Um, from that period through the 50s, where you had uh, the introduction of, of magazines like uh, Famous Monsters of Filmland uh, in the 60s, all the way like through the 70s, where you had some of the um, night gallery episodes, that sort of thing. Um, there was a whole generation of uh, people that grew up that were labeled sort of monster kids that uh, really identified with all of these um, creatures and, and, and the, uh, the whole outsider aspect of these creatures that they were um, not necessarily, necessarily something to be afraid of. Um, but something to uh, empathize with and just like, wait a second, you know, I'm, 
I feel like the person that's uh, being chased by the villagers, you know, <laughs> and that sort of thing. And that I'm not one of these villagers. I, I'd rather, you know, be, uh, I'd rather be hanging out in graveyards and that sort of thing. <laughs> and that, not to get, not to get too uh, emo <laughs> or anything like that, but just uh, most of these characters um, were, portrayed as in a rather more sympathetic vein. And um, with that being said, um, some of the portrayals will actually uh, highlighted uh, the sensitivity of, of the various monsters. Um, to tie this in with what I mentioned before about the seasonal affective disorder, um, it was just, for me, it was watching these monsters on screen. Um, it was something that in a bit of an existential way that, that I could relate to um, as far as like just not feeling like I could fit in um, and just finding a bit of solace while, while watching these movies. Um, and as I did mention, um, these movies struck a chord to me as, as being um, sort of like the, uh, the morality plays where, where you knew, you know, who was the good person, who was the bad person. Um, and so there was a bit of a, a comfort in somewhat of the simplicity of that. Now, as movies, uh, as the filmmaking progressed um, in, in the 70s, um, you had a resurgence of, of new horror movies um, and, and new directors and new types of horror movies that were presented. Um, in fact, you know, you had the introduction of the uh, slasher film with either um, the prototypical uh, slasher, um, which is uh, Halloween, of course, but even before that, there is the classic um, Black Christmas uh, by Bob Clark, um, who you actually may remember uh, as the director of um, the holiday classic Christmas Story. Um, he actually did this really great horror movie called Black Christmas, the original one. Uh, there have been some remakes from 2006 and the latest one from 2019, which I, uh, I, I do not recommend. <laughs> I do not recommend. Go back to the original one. Um, it stars um, Olivia Hussey and um, actually uh, Andrea Martin, who is from SCTV. But if you look up Black Christmas, uh, look up either Black Christmas, Olivia Hussey, or um, Bob Clark's version, though uh, that one is the classic. Um, that one, I always kind of put on to watch during this time, um, not necessarily for the, you know, the, the creepy stalker aspect or, or anything like that. Um, but it was, it was comforting to me to see the, the people in the movie um, enjoying their Christmas together, the, the familial aspect of it. Um, but there was always something that was coming in from the outside that was upsetting that familial aspect of it. And for myself, struggling with the uh, with the, with depression, for me, I I kind of felt akin to that. Like I was trying to celebrate this Christmas with my family, and and I knew logically that, you know, this is a nice time, that sort of thing. But emotionally, there was always that dark kind of specter lurking in, in the background saying, you know, hey, you don't really deserve to be here. And um, 
so like stories like that, uh, like Black Christmas, that sort of thing, kind of resonated with me e emotionally, not because of the kills, as I mentioned before, or anything like that, but just the, the fact that there was an outside force coming in. Um, and as far as horror movies for, for therapy, um, there are various uh, films um, and there have been some studies that, that have uh, been shown that certain types of horror movies actually do provide sort of a, a, a cathartic relief um, for some people that have been uh, uh, struggling with a, a post-traumatic stress disorder, not just um, in, in the military vein, but also any sort of major trauma. Um, and it doesn't and it doesn't have to be a horror movie that's you know akin to what this particular trauma you know happened to you know in reality to the individual individual. It's just a um, as I uh, as as I did mention the the whole good triumphing over evil aspect of these types of movies um, that is is what you can latch on to and so around this time of year i do go and and revisit the the older films and um especially now when since we are still dealing with uh you know the the pandemic to to some degrees you know some things are opened up some things are still closed a lot of people are still isolated uh, and the world feels just kind of out of kilter. Um, things are not what they once were. And I don't think they're ever really going to get back to that particular, you know, back to that particular rhythm that we once had. Um, but going back and uh, watching these films, you, you can see that there is uh, there is hope. You know the 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 bad guys get defeated. There's always the final girl or final guy, um, and there is an underlying theme of hope running through these movies. Um, sure, the the monsters come back in sequels, but they're defeated each time and and there are survivors and um it's just something that emotionally i latch on to um as far as um you know that underlying theme of hope and um a little bit of redemption it depends on uh, on what movies you're you're, you're uh, watching as far as the redemptive uh, aspects of like some of the characters, but um, it's just a, an, another, another way that I choose to kind of help myself cope with uh, with what's going on during this holiday season, as well as, um, you know, through throughout the year, uh, when things, as I said, um, seem a, a little bit off kilter, <laughs> and and you don't necessarily um, know, um, yeah, you, you don't necessarily know who. Um, is I was going to say telling the truth, but you know which which version of the truth um, you should you know choose to to believe, um, and that uh, that can be you know overwhelming at times, especially with with everything that's been going on, and so you can always uh, go in and. Uh, you know, uh, 
pop in one of these uh, quote unquote scary movies and, and know uh, that it's like, okay, well, there's a, there's an obstacle to go overcome and people will overcome it. <sighs> now um, there is a, uh, a book um, out um, it was published in uh, 2012, but it's still available in paperback that does a, uh, a more eloquent job than, than what I'm doing currently um, about explaining um, how various uh, horror films um, uh, impacted, uh, in, 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 impacted uh, this particular author, and her name is... Uh, Kara Lajanis, and the book that I mention is um, an autobiographical, an autobiographical um, novel that uh, actually mixes in the author's uh, life experiences with uh, film criticism, specifically uh, horror criticism. Um, and the roles of uh, women in a myriad of uh, different horror movies. Um, that particular book is uh, called The House of uh, Psychotic Women. And uh, it also um, ties in to the, the whole uh, theme that I mentioned before as, as of horror as therapeutic. Um, there are various chapters in the book um, detailing um, like post-traumatic stress as well as uh, the feeling of being um, an outsider um, and otherness, that type of thing. I highly recommend that particular book. Um, there are also other books that um, delve more into the, uh, the science and studies of how horror is, is therapeutic um, for victims of like anxiety and, and trauma. Um, there is another, there's actually a, f a recent film that I recommend um, that is entitled A Ghost Waits and it is by Arrow Video and it's an independent black and white uh, film that uh, deals with a, a young man who uh, makes his living repairing rental properties for um, a real estate developer. And he's assigned to uh, repair this one uh, house uh, because this house can't keep a, a tenant in it for more than three, for more than three months um, because this particular house is, is haunted. And um, he, the young man is going about the repairs and he's visited by the ghost. Um, and his first encounter, he runs out, but he actually comes back to the house. And uh, this startles the ghost because this is the first person who's ever come back. And um, it's a story about connection it deals with uh, depression. Um, it also deals with uh, some trauma, um, but it's very lightly done. It, it, is a, it is a comedy. It's not really all that scary, um, but it does have some you know, scary moments in it. Um, I do highly recommend it. It's called A Ghost Waits. And um, it is... Um, At the end credits of A Ghost Waits, uh, it, it says, um, you are not alone. And, and that is uh, another one of these films that uh, is using the medium of like genre, um, specifically like the ghost story um, and a bit of horror elements to um, provide uh, a sense of hope. And, and a sense of uh, uh, autonomy, um, especially for the, the, the lead character who feels, um, who, who feels alone. And um, he actually finds uh, uh, kinship 
with uh, the ghost who is haunting the house. Um, and I think that's what we're all searching for in the end. We're searching for some sort of connection and, and some sort of kinship with, uh, with people, which seems so difficult to do currently um, considering we're, um, you know, recommended to be you know, isolated and, and socially distanced um, and everything is, is going through uh, Zoom and, and online meetings. But um, if, if anything, uh, if there's anything that I've learned is, uh, through watching these films is that there are connections to be made. There is hope and there are obstacles that people can overcome if they hold on, if they hold on. And there may be some trials and tribulations, but at the end, you come out stronger for those trials and tribulations, and you come out as a better person for that experience, even though it may be emotionally taxing and sometimes physically draining. But there's always hope. And that's what I get from these various movies. Um, as I mentioned before, that's just my particular opinion about these films. There are some films that um, I don't necessarily subscribe. Um, this set of, you know, uh, these set of criteria to um, in, in the horror genre. Um, but there are always uh, different interpretations to be had um, because there's so many different, you know, sort of sub-genres of, of the horror genre. Um, uh, but sometimes... Sometimes um, you, you just want to see, you know, some, some giant spiders <laughs> and that, um, and it, it's, but then again, that's another obstacle to overcome and, and they do overcome them and that, and especially if, if, um, especially if, if you're a stranded in uh, the paradise desert and, and graboids are coming for you. And that those are certainly different, uh, certainly different, difficult obstacles to overcome. But um, yes, I, 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 I've really en enjoyed my time here today. I hope um, everyone uh, watching and listening has in, enjoyed me as a guest host. Um, I want to thank uh, editor in, in chief uh, Jason Hunt for allowing me to uh, to do this. Um, and to uh, sit in for him today and uh, speak to you about um, my love of ghost stories for Christmas and, and my uh, opinions uh, about uh, what attracted me to the horror genre and my feelings about some, some of the films there. Um, if, excuse me, uh, if you would like to connect with us, um, feel free to. We have um, our email, as you can see, that's uh, scrolling across the screen, and that is uh, live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. We also have a uh, tip jar uh, for PayPal and subscribe star. We've got a newsletter, um, and as you can see, we have a, a whole list of uh, various websites and, and social media platforms that we um, broadcast to or you can get a hold of us on. Um, and uh, thank you again uh, for uh, taking your time and in, enjoying the program. And I wish you a, a very happy holiday season. And um, tomorrow 
we are going to be actually having a uh, really interesting guest, uh, the actor, um, let's see here, uh, A. Martinez will be our guest. And uh, he's uh, recently done uh, the uh, Cowboy Bebop uh, adaptation on Netflix. Uh, and he's going to be part of an upcoming Michael Bay film called Ambulance. Um, he's going to be here on uh, Thursday uh, talking with Jason about his career and um, acting and all of the different projects that he's coming up. And that's going to be a great program to check out. It'll be really fun to see what uh, Mr. Martinez has been up to and uh, get his uh, feedback about uh, his career and, and uh, the state of Hollywood today. So uh, I really highly recommend you uh, guys coming back um, for Thursday to check out that interview. But uh, until I see you again, thank you uh, once again, and um, happy holidays. And as uh, our editor-in-chief would say, please remember that there are four lights. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 